0: Hello, evergreen and livestream friends from wherever you're watching. If you're new to us today, then my name's Ann. I'm one of the pastors here in this faith community, and we would love to hear from you. This is true whether it's in person or live stream. We'd love for you to join the conversation online by posting your questions, your insights, or maybe it's just how we can pray for you in the comments. But I also want to make this invitation, whether you're live stream or whether you're in person. And I think in person sometimes maybe don't really realize this, don't really know this, aren't encouraged about it as much. But if you need someone to talk to, if you need somebody to listen to your story, if there's someone you'd like to have pray with you, um, we want you to grab us after the service. Um, We have wonderful hospitality in the lobby, and there's always a spot where we can... Um, step away from the crowd for a moment and, and talk with you, pray with you, and also sometimes that's just not enough time. It's not the right setting for you. Guess what? Come find us and we'll um, connect and set up a time that does work so that um, you can experience that together. Well, I would love for you to post comments uh, or your contact info also online if you're on live stream. That's a great way to get in touch with us. But how many of you grew up having any, like what they call family talks? Okay, a few of us did. Maybe it's because there's six kids in my family. Okay, we had family talks, friends. But the most memorable family talk that we ever had was um, when Fluffy, our puppy that was a -a cockapoo, You know how puppies have puppy energy, and he escaped, and then she escaped. And the one time she escaped, she got hit by a car. And because of that, she needed a leg amputated, and we didn't have a lot of money. And so calling from the vet's hospital, our parents had this confab with us, you know, the old dial-up phone. Yep, we all got around. And uh, one parent was at home, and one was there with the puppy, and it was Christmas or Fluffy's surgery, and it wasn't that we wouldn't celebrate Christmas, but we knew what it meant. It meant, you know, we're not going to spend anything on gifts because we're going to use that money for Fluffy. Now, what do you think we chose? Fluffy. Yes, we did. We chose Fluffy. <laughs> and Fluffy was with us for 19 years as a three-legged dog and gave us a lot of joy um, right up to the end of her life. And so I think we, we made the right choice. But it was a family vote. Well, that's the most memorable family talk. And today, I want to do this message is in two parts. The first part is a, a family talk. It's not the message. I'm not going to read a scripture to you. I want to talk to you about our family, the Evergreen family, and then we'll dive into Acts six one through seven. And it's related to the family talk, but it is not. Uh, but it's not entirely uh, a part of that. So Jared and I returned. Friday night from a two-day experience called Exponential, and Exponential is a church multiplication movement that wants to reach North America through the multiplication of a lot of churches, and we are one of the most unchurched continents in the world, and our time was filled with a lot of vision, a lot of emotion, and a lot of stories, and part of it was that because we've been in church multiplication for over 40 years, um, we ran into people. Because we're all kind of crazy and fanatics and run together, Uh, people who are into church planting. And so um, it was just like uh, vision on steroids, you could say. And just we felt a lot of things because throughout Exponential, our current multiplication story here at Evergreen was never far from our thoughts. And, you know, I want to say on behalf of Jared and I, we are so proud of you, Evergreen. We are so proud of you because you've gone on this journey with us to multiply churches, to plant churches many times, and each one's been very different. You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to hear from Lori Dickerson, who we sent out six months after we came, to plant a church and a school and an orphanage on the east side of of Uganda. Now she's on the west side in Fort Portal. And by the way, those are all thriving. And she left them in the hands of a native Ugandan. And now she's on the east uh, on the west side and in Fort Portal. And she's gonna be here to teach and to share with us what God's doing. But as we considered our church planting adventures with all of you, we realized that some of you may be new to the whole idea of planting churches. Maybe it's because you're new here. Um, but others may have just acquiesced to the vision. You know that thing of, well, Jared and Ann told us they were gonna do this. They went ahead and did it. Did we really have a say in this? It just happened to us. You know, acquiescing is just saying, you know, okay, We get it. You're going to do this whether we agree or not. So there may be some of you that feel that way. Still, others of you may be wondering in this particular season about the wisdom of planting on the heels of the church being entirely online for over a year. You see, a lot of relationships were already disrupted. Some of them disconnected. And I'm talking about relationships among evergreeners the connection, the glue, and a lot of those were already disrupted and some disconnected. In addition, in the last 18 months, people have made a lot of changes in their lives. A change in habits, of course, but also very willful changes, thoughtful changes, leaving jobs to take new jobs, moving out of state. Um, And some have made decisions not to gather at all. And this we have realized as pastors has left us vulnerable as a community because a community is always about the people connected together in relationship. The thing is, COVID is us have disconnected, not with this building, with each other. Because the church has never been a building, ever. Whatever building it might meet in or gather in, Ecclesia, the word that came to be used for the church in the first century, was a common Greek word for any gathering of people for any purpose. Literally, it could refer to a riotous mob. It could refer to a raucous party. But in the first century, it was a term for people gathered to worship Jesus. It was not ever a term for a building. They had other terms for that. There was the temple. There was the synagogue. But it was not Church never referred to a place. It always referred to a people. And it was a people collected, a people connected. So in June, Lydia Shepard Kaiser, our associate pastor, was sent out to start a home church network here in the region. And at the end of July, we sent Rick Terletsky, our video producer, to plant a church in the greater Hillsboro area. And his approach was not the home church, but it was building a launch team from scratch, then launching first as they're about to do the first weekend in um, November at McMineman's at Embry in the Round Barn, where they're going to connect and collect with the pre-Christians in their lives, the people they work with, the people they live next to, inviting for a night of games, refreshments, and connecting. And then they will launch out of that eventually into their public services. But we need all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. No one church model or approach will reach every person. You know, the only person that can reach the whole world? I think you do. It's God, right? God's the only person. Every single one of the rest of us was given a little niche, a little slice, a little piece of it to do. And we see that in the first century when Paul and Barnabas started churches in Corinth and Philippi in the region of Galatia and Thessalonica and more. And when you read the book of Acts, you see that each one of these churches were started in a unique way and they met in all kinds of places. I mean, some of them would be rather crazy for us. Our latest church, Two church plants are starting using different models. Is one better than the other? No. Is one more biblical than the other? No. Are these models better than the mother church? That's us, friends. I think you know that by now, Evergreen. No, all of these are expressions of Jesus' church that connect with different people and help people start to follow Jesus, be transformed with Jesus, and join Jesus on mission. When Jared and I planted our first church way back in the day in 1978, our ads, which I have pictures of still and are in a scrapbook at home, said this. We had our logo there, but then we said another expression of the life of Jesus in our community. Not a better expression of the life of Jesus in our community, but another expression of the life of Jesus in our community. And you know that was very intentional on our part, which probably doesn't surprise some of you. This is why, because we see that as a humble approach to any God effort, to anything God asks us to do. We are just a little slice of God's big C church. And so it's important that we know what we're about, but it's not the whole thing. Is not the only thing, and that's true of all the churches that we've sent out from here. They're another little slice of the pie, a complement to, not a clone of, the other churches, what God is already doing in Hillsboro, and he's up to a lot of good things through a lot of great churches. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I love what he's doing. So we send to extend God's kingdom, and we want to cheer these church planters on and celebrate um, as they help people find and follow Jesus. It's so important. They need our encouragement. But here's the deal, and this is not about an offering because I'm going to say something here. It is costly to have babies. And it's no different with a baby church. Okay, anybody who's ever had a baby knows it's costly in a lot of ways, okay? But there is no offering being taken about that. That's not what this is about. It's about this next piece. It's not about the money. It's about the people. Okay, the people that went to dwell represented 10% of the monthly giving of Evergreen. That's about what we expected Jared and I, as we tried to anticipate though we, you know, we only had a couple months to figure it out, but we did look at that, and that didn't surprise us. Now, if you're in church planning circles, you know that the mother church can give up about 10% of its people, its its finances, those kinds of things, without starting to hurt, without hemorrhaging. Uh, As we know, that happens with mothers when they give too much. Even more important, though, than that 10%, which is every month, That is is the fact that those are our friends. Those are leaders from here that have been raised up here. Those are volunteers that have been amazing here. Those are our kids' friends. Those are our friends. People we've shared life with. People we've had stories with. And that, my friends, hurts. It's very important that we acknowledge that. Maybe it hurts even more because of the context we're in. And that's what I'm wanting you to realize. That doing this in a time of COVID, when Jared and I were at Exponential, there was not one person we talked to, one church planner we talked to, that was being sent out during COVID, that was doing it during this time. They all were just pre-COVID or plans to do it when COVID ends. So it, it was a, it's a very tumultuous time. And this is a thing in COVID we've already let go of a lot. Don't you feel that way? Is anybody else with us? I know that Jared and I feel that way. We'd already let go of so much. So that's the hard hardest part of planting a church. You know, plant more next door. That was a little slogan we had in Foursquare Church planting when I was leading it. And that... Um, is the hard part of it. Planting more next door always means you're going to send people, and that relationship thing happens. So these people are near us, but they're not with us. One of our, my leaders yesterday was, uh, told me that it's hard to figure out who's with us, who's here at Evergreen now, who are we now in terms of the people, because all of this happened when we were just starting to come back. We were four months into coming back from Uh, not being meeting together you know so we hadn't had time for everybody to get back well I just want you to know that we feel that with you we do feel that and I think it's better if we just acknowledge that's that's just being human beings it means that we care for each other it means that we love each other it means that we love the people that we sent and it means we sent some of our best that's awesome but our initial evergreen commitment then to kingship was $25,000. And that's a, that was a one-time gift. But I want you to know that Jared and I gave $5,000 to that plant before the church ever committed. It's not part of the 25000 Now, I, I can lose my reward in heaven. That's okay. As I want you to know that for a very... Uh, Firm reason. Why? Because leaders should always go first in serving and giving. That's what we believe Jesus modeled, and we wouldn't ask you to do something that we weren't doing first. So in a couple weeks, I think on the 27th of October, then uh, Kingship will actually get their check for $25,000, and and you're going to have a hand in all the kingdom stuff that happens through that church plant, just like we will through Dwell. So we're investing in an on-site studio that we've talked about a couple weeks ago that's going to film a podcast that will be a precursor to our digital church plant, reaching out to young families, delivering meaningful content for them without geographic boundaries. That's the cool thing about online. And that's what that's dedicated to. It's not trying to, uh, though we can all listen to it too, It's stuff we can share with our friends, relatives, former people we were friends with or connected with across our life, wherever they live, and that's a cool thing. But do you know what Jared and I see when we see those dollars going out? We don't see dollar signs. We see people like the brother of a church planter friend of ours who agreed to play guitar for the worship band But he didn't know Jesus. He just agreed to be part of that crazy gang. He came to Christ after months of playing guitar for worship for them. Not leading worship, playing for it. People meeting Jesus, experiencing his love. I see their faces. I can look back across the many plants we've been part of and that's who I see. I see them meeting in a coffee shop, in a living room, a community hall, a repurposed business, a bar, on a digital screen gathering, or person invited to a weekend gathering here at Evergreen. One of my dear friends made her first appearance here at Summerfest, an event that we did outdoors here for several years at Evergreen. She came and they won at bingo, and she came back for a service, and six weeks later, she gave her heart to Christ. This is all about people finding Jesus, and we agree with the Apostle Paul that by all means, let's win some. By all means, let's win some. That's why we can celebrate. That's why we can keep on moving forward. So from the start, as your pastors, 12 years ago, we've talked about being the Antioch Church, a sending church committed to planting churches that leads and teaches with a team. And man, I just want to stop and say, don't we have an amazing team? We've got Carlos and Ilse and and Natalia and Kim and Jordan, and the list could just go on. And we've got Braden back there on sound. There is, yeah. We have an amazing team, and we have a church that values kids and students as much as any adult. We shift our resources to kids and students. We give our best leaders, our best volunteers, and our first dollars to kids and to students here. And actually, that's something that we carried over from many generations here at this church. That is in the DNA of Evergreen from its beginning. And it's something that we just took to another level. That has not changed. We are a church whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new to Evergreen, I want you to know today, or newer to us, that that's the place in our journey that you're coming to us. Because... You're new here. You don't have our history. And if we seem a little road-weary to you in this pandemic, give us a moment longer. Linger with us. We already love you. Would you give us a chance to show you that we love you? That takes time sometimes. And we look forward to getting to know you or know you better swapping stories, and seeing Jesus do amazing things through us together. So are you ready for part two? Yeah, and can we just say thank you, Lord, for what he's done and for these church plants that are meeting, some of them in homes today and some of them at Embry Hall next week. Can we just say thank you to the Lord for that? Yeah. So there's an African proverb that says if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. You know, Michael Jordan was a superstar basketball player, but some of us don't realize that the four seasons that he scored the most points, his team did not win an NBA championship. It wasn't until Phil Jackson became his coach and taught him the value of teamwork that the Chicago Bulls won their first championship, and Michael changed his tune. He said, talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. The thing about teamwork is interesting. Team builders are not always the most gifted players, but they are the distributors. They are the king or queens of assists, if you're a basketball player, the ones who empower others. Those are the superstars on a team. Now, John Wooden, one of the best coaches in the NCAA basketball history, um, and a Jesus follower, at least that's, um, he's, we're a fan of his, said the main ingredient of stardom. Is the rest of the team. Turn and I'd like you to turn and share with the people near you what's one of the best experiences you've had of any kind on a team and what made it so good. Okay? Best experience you've one of the best experiences on a team and what made it so good. Go ahead and take a minute. So I'm gonna ask Carlos, he's got a microphone, and I'm gonna ask a few of you to share, not the story of the team, but what you said made that team experience so good. So he's gonna bring that mic around. Would you raise your hand if you, can, if you have one to share? What made the team that was so great for you? So this is a team where everyone supported each other whenever there was a problem, there were people to help, and you always knew somebody was there backing you up. That's awesome. Always somebody to help. You always knew someone had your back and would help you out. That's awesome. Someone else? What made your team experience so great? Uh, Just reaching for a common goal and all coming together to, to do that. Great, a common goal that everybody focused on together. That's awesome, Nick. Thanks. One more, yeah. A lot of grace. A a, a lot of grace. That's important, yeah. It takes that to be a team that sticks together for sure, right? And one more. One more, and then we'll, yeah. For me, the best team experiences have always had an element of fun and fulfilling. Yeah. An element of fun and fulfilling. Thank you so much, you guys. Those are just a few of them. I hope you got to hear somebody else's as well as shared your own. You see, today is about empowering others to serve, widening our circles of relationship to include and empower others. And who would have thought that a complaint could be the springboard for that in our lives? A complaint can be the springboard for empowering others for each one of us. So what do you do when someone complains about what you're doing or not doing? I mean, isn't that a dangerous question during this season? Yeah, because people are dipped in gasoline. I think that a lot of people get angry, (laughs) lash out, withdraw, or drop out. Um, Drop out means they go silent, ghost you, right? Yeah, that happens too. So how can you and I influence what happens next? You can be the start. I can be the start of a better outcome, particularly in this, this community we call Evergreen. So we're going to look at a complaint that came to the early church and how they moved from complaint to agreement to thriving by including and empowering others. So Acts 6, 1 through 7, that's where we're at today, if you'd follow along with me. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now this proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So I want to make a few observations about how the apostles dealt with this complaint about inequity in the care for the widows, and then ask ourselves, what will we do? What can Evergreen do as we encounter the needs that have arisen as we come back from COVID and the gaps that we see that we didn't have before? And how could we discover what what a new approach could be that would work? So, here's an observation. Let's start, first of all, with the complaint that came. Okay, Luke's earlier summaries, Jared taught out of one and I taught out of one, made the early church sound like nirvana, okay? Like a utopia on earth almost. Because, I mean, they were sharing everything they had. They were praising God every day. They were praying. They were eating meals together. I mean, doesn't it sound pretty sweet? It sounds good. Blissful. I just want you to notice that we're in chapter 6, verse 1, okay? The start of chapter 6. It didn't take very long for what to happen? Complaints. Complaints. So the complaint here is that the Greek Jews and the Hebraic people, Jews, the transplants versus the locals, were being treated differently in the distribution of food. And the locals, the Hebraic Jews, knew a little Greek, but primarily spoke Aramaic. The Greek Jews, the transplants on the other hand, spoke Greek, but they did not know much, if any, Aramaic. So the Greeks accused the Hebraic Jews of not taking care of their widows in the same way that they were taking care of their own. See, Judaism had a system for caring for the poor, including the wandering poor that came through town. And that system... Um, was much like our food bank, okay? I don't mean that it was done the same way, but it was intentional, plan. And so a complaint, and this is what I want you to capture out of this, a complaint always points to an unmet need. And a complaint, now though that unmet need might be relational, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual, and it might be very physical. In this case, there was a physical need, but there was also a... Uh, an experience of an emotional need because two different groups of people. You see, the Greek Jews were the transplants, the diaspora, the people who lived outside of Palestine. And they would, they had an inordinate amount of widows too because when people, when Jews were widowed and lived outside of Palestine, they often came to where? Jerusalem, the mother country, to sit, live the rest of their life and be part of this system. And so these It was these people, that it was pointing out their need. And it wasn't just a physical need, but an emotional need as well. Because to be excluded is never fun. To be excluded is painful. To be excluded is to be wounded. And this criticism was aimed at the apostles because they were still trying to do it all and apparently falling short. Okay, but how did they address this complaint? Well, this complaint was met with collaboration, first of all. It says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. The apostles said, we need help. And the church was invited to select who would help, brothers and sisters They said, choose seven people from among you. Okay, so they made the problem, not just their problem, but our problem to solve together. And the seven people selected by the church were all Greek and most of them not from Palestine. Their names give that away and these seven men were agreed upon by all the believers present men and women So I want to ask you this question. They found a way to move forward, but was this the most efficient way? to address this complaint maybe not But don't make the mistake of choosing efficiency over effectiveness. It was the most effective way, but it might not have been the most efficient. They could have just made an arbitrary decision, not asked the church, pick their own seven people that they wanted out of that whole church and not involved others in it. But they chose to collaborate in it. And isn't this one of the most common reasons people don't want to collaborate? Efficiency. It takes time to listen. It takes time to gather a group of people together. Oh my goodness, during COVID, it, it takes forever. And so it, it could be really interesting to try to do that. And it's one of our most common excuses for it. We even, this is one of the temptations we have in parenting. And, pa- and parents' families are one of the most important teams that we'll ever have. One of my heroes in the faith, Dr. Howard Hendricks, said, whatever you do for your children that they can do for themselves, handicaps them in their future. But isn't that the temptation when they struggle to do the dishes or make the bed or place their order with a wait person or write that paper for school or complete that project or get to make their college decision or decide on that first job? As tempting as it is for us to take over. As tempting as it is to not allow that collaboration, to actually coach them through it, we have to resist the urge and show them how to find their way forward, sometimes with a little coaching. Now, the apostles resisted the urge to make the decision to get things done faster by collaborating. And I want you to know something. Collaboration speaks louder than words. Here's what it says to the people you invite in. It says, I value what you think. It says, I believe in you. It says, you're better than me at some things. That's why I need you, your help with this. So they collaborated and they stayed focused on their assignment. We say, stay in your lane. The apostles, the 12, decided to stay in their lane. They said, we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The big idea out of this is we are not the answer to every need. Even though that need may be brought to us, we may not be the answer to it. So we need to collaborate if we're going to get that out. We need to stay in our lane. The apostles knew their assignment, so instead of continuing to say, no, we'll take care of that, we'll just try a little harder, right? Because they were the ones doing it, folks. This is the last time you will see the, the 12 apostles referred to as the 12. It is the last time in Acts and in the Bible that you'll hear that. This is why. It was never just the 12 again. This was the expansion of that initial leadership team, the first expansion, and it all happened with a complaint. So what I want you to know, though, is that this was not the apostles saying, we're too important to serve this way. Staying in your lane is not about being willing to do family tasks that we do together it's about knowing what your unique contribution is. And I just wanna mention, if you don't know what your unique contribution is, well, welcome. You are, you're not alone, a lot of people wonder that. Well, I'd love to have a conversation with you. But also, here's some questions that you can address. Examine your experience. What are you good at? Ask your friends and mentors, what do you see in me? Please ask people to be honest with you. You don't need American Idol kind of friends, okay? You've seen those if you ever watched that show and saw people say, my friends tell me I'm fantastic at this. And then they get up there and it's really bad. Okay. We're, we're good friends spare each other from those moments. Okay. Okay. Experiment. Try something and see if it fits. Talk to Jesus about it and spend some time listening and then identify your passion because that's a part of it what excites you makes your heart beat faster or what creates an explosion of creativity and and ideas in you sometimes you can also do it by looking at your hot button issues so serving others provides two kinds of opportunities and we're talking about empowering others to serve one is to do what others can't do or need help doing, OK? That's on one side. The other is to do is to help do what only you can do, your unique contribution. And both of these are important. The example of the one is, after the 11 o'clock service, when we are having an event or something and we need the chair stacked, we invite anybody in the congregation to help with that. I call those family tasks "we." We are a family, and we share together in those. And this happens at home as well. We have tasks at home that are shared by the family, and depending on your age and the safety for you, which tasks you get to share in. This is different than then being called to uh, be a small group leader for, or lead an event or lead a group of 5th and 6th graders, which we call Vortex. Like those, this need to distribute food to the widows was not going to go away. This is not a one-shot wonder. This is not an event that they could just show up on weekend and then they're done. This was an ongoing ministry need. And the people being assigned to wait on tables were treated just like the person selected to follow Moses and lead Israel. You can read about it in Numbers 27, verses 18 through 23. Take a look at that. When Joshua was chosen to follow Moses in leading God's people... And when Barnabas and Paul were sent out in Acts 13, the same things happened. They call, the leaders called them forward. They laid hands on them, and they prayed for them. The other interesting thing is this very, what seems like a very uh, physical task, distributing food, kind of an administrative task. They had to be full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. Same qualifiers as it was to be an apostle, to do any of these other things. There's no hierarchy. See, with God, he doesn't see it as if you're teaching vortex that's less important than if you're teaching here on this stage and it doesn't say that if i'm leading worship here it's more important than leading worship for our youth or our students or that the person who cleans the toys in our nursery that job isn't as important god doesn't have that ranking that's something that we get tempted to do literally your unique contribution is what you bring and every contribution matters with god Every single one. And the truth is, no matter what stage of life we're in, he has a unique contribution for us. But depending on your stage of life, it's not the same. And that's the trick, isn't it? As you go through the seasons of life to discover what's in this season for me, Lord. What do you want in this season? So... They collaborated, they stayed in their lane, and they empowered others. And that's the big idea today, empowering others. That's our verb. And the team expanded. We'll turn this responsibility over to them, the disciples said. When something needs to get done and it's not being done well, that's a great time to expand your team and share the load. Now, you know this from your family. Haven't you ever seen, you know, mom get excuse me, mom, gets overwhelmed and suddenly, that's when the family meeting comes. Okay, in this family of six it is. Okay, the family meeting comes, and now it's like, okay, who, you're going to be doing laundry. You're going to be doing this. Yeah. Um, we had a few of those, too, um, as well as being coached through those tasks um, by my mom and dad. So this is the first mention we have of the early church leadership expanding beyond the 12 apostles. This was their first experience with empowering others then. But it was not the first time they'd seen it. Do you know who they watched do it? Jesus. They would followed, these 12 men had followed Jesus for three years, and they would watched him, first of all, pick them, the 12, out of this big group, and then he picked 70 or 72, depending on the account you read, of the leaders to go out in twos ahead of him into all the cities and prepare those by preaching the gospel and healing people and doing all sorts of cool things there. And often did witness Jesus asking them to help him with, with needs that they thought were way over their head. Like, that's above our pay grade, Jesus. You know, you, you're the one who needs to take care of that. Jesus empowered others. I mean, even, even though we were, we were kind of messy, he did that. So I want you to think about this. Jesus empowered his disciples. Did they ever let him down? Did they ever do it the way, just the way he would do it? No. No, we know that. So what are some of the objections we have to empowering others? Because we have objections, people. We do have things, reasons that we hesitate to empower others. Would you raise your hand? And Carlos is going to bring the mic around. Wherever he is. There he is. Yeah. Right over here. Patty. You're afraid they won't be able to do it the same way you do it and therefore not as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's probably one of the most common. They won't do it like me, being the me whoever's doing it. Yeah. Sometimes, if someone doesn't maybe have the same agenda that we have. Repeat that one, Carlos, for us. Yeah. If if they have uh, opposing agendas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That they'll have a, they have a hidden agenda that they'll bring up. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Sometimes they'll say they will say they will do it, and then they'll drop the ball and yeah. just not do it at all. Oh yes, that's another reason. We... <laughs> yeah, these are great, you guys. Yeah, they'll do it better than me and forget about me oh that's good too <laughs> now we know the apostles never had trouble with thinking about who was the greatest right yeah no we we know they did okay thank you so much you guys you guys man you hit some of the top ones that keep us from doing that but let's look at what happened when they did it they made the choice they empowered and they empowered this whole group to pick the people that's giving away a lot you guys because selection is something that we love to keep our hands on if i'm a coach. Picking the team, boy, I'd love that. Man, some of these, I've been watching soccer games for second graders and third graders, fourth graders. Okay, I'm pretty sure some of those coaches wanted to pick a few more uh, people to be on their team. So the positive outcome of empowering others is evidenced here in the disciple story. It says, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests came to the faith. Did you know at this point in time, there were about 18,000 priests and Levi's serving on a rotational basis at the temple. And a lot of them were getting saved. These are Jewish priests who, in looking for the Messiah, finally came to believe that Jesus was the one. Even though he didn't come and overthrow Rome and came instead as this humble servant, they finally realized it and started getting saved. So if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go further, go with others. Just one story, and then we'll talk about us, our application. So we had a wonderful encounter the first night of the Exponential Conference this week with someone that we hadn't seen for probably about 18 years. Um, We had hired him only months after he decided to follow Jesus when he was 23 years old, 20 years ago. Nathan was attending the event for the company that he works for that helps church planters with capital projects. And he asked us if he could take us to breakfast. Now, Jared and I both felt like he was on a mission. He found us that night and sought us out after we'd already talked to him earlier. And when we sat down to have breakfast, we knew he was because he started right in and he explained. He recounted the story of us hiring him and his incredulity that he got that job And all the things that we let him do. And he got saved out of a very messy story like the rest of us, right? Um, But he told us about his career journey and how the past 15 years he's tried to do the same for others as we did for him. He said, you believed in me as a young man, fresh out of college and brand new to faith. And you gave me an opportunity. Thank you. Isn't that what we want to do for others? We want to believe in them. We want to empower them. We want to strike out the objections and let go of control and see them do that for others as well as they continue on their journey. So as a church that sends out and plants new churches, that creates new needs and new messes. And we have many opportunities right now to collaborate and empower others to serve using their unique contribution so that our community, Evergreen, the Mother Church, can thrive and see more people decide to follow Jesus. So how do we do that? We do that with you. Whether you're watching on live stream today or you're in person with us, we need you. We need you to step out And into your unique contribution in this season of your life. I don't know what your last season was like or about. But I do know that God has something for you. A unique contribution in this season. And serve alongside of us. Don't be a consumer. Collaborate with us and empower those around you to participate with you. If you're wondering what your unique contribution is, you can ask any of the pastors and we'll be happy to sit down with you. You can ask a leader in your life that's maybe a volunteer leader here at Evergreen. We have amazing people that are leading other ministry areas here that you could also talk to. What's your next step to thriving? I know what Evergreens is it's you. It's you stepping off of sidelines or out of spectator seats or away from the comfort of home and coming together. It doesn't matter what the building is, but it does matter about the relationships. And we need you and we want you and we love you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you're the Lord of the church, that you're doing amazing things. Lord, across your big world, even in the midst of COVID, Lord. And right now, I just ask and pray that each one of us would step up and into our unique contributions. Lord, those aren't measured by how many hours and all of that. It's measured by obedience. It's measured by what you're calling us to do, what you've equipped us to do. So we trust you, Lord of the church, to begin speaking to people in that way. And Lord, our answer is yes, We want to follow you. We want to be those people who are transformed by you, and we want to bring a whole bunch of people with us. So, Lord, would you help us to see our way forward? you help people to take their next step, even this week, Lord, to take their next step forward and do their part in being community together, being ecclesia, that called-out group of people that can meet anywhere, any place, and see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. Amen.